My name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the CEO of CyberGear and Only Webinars. And I'm pleased to welcome you to today's webinar. We have a very interesting topic. How can we make live events more engaging? I think this is a challenge for everybody who's into live events. And so you will relate to this uh, topic. And I have, I think, the best person on the planet to help us on this journey. And my guest today is Dean Wei. I've been talking to Dean for several months now. And uh, finally, I think I convinced him to join us for a live session and tell us how he does what he does. So Dean's uh, profession is very unique. He writes uh, webinars and presentations for business leaders and entrepreneurs. So he is a ghost writer. His name does not appear everywhere on what he writes, but his job is basically to make other people successful. He does not get in front of the camera very often, but I think we convinced him for this time. Uh, also, you'll be happy to know that uh, Dean has written over a thousand presentations for clients everywhere, except perhaps for the Antarctica. So people in over 300 companies, including some very famous ones, have turned to Dean for help. Dean is here today to tell us about some of the audience attention techniques he has used for his clients. So I will pass it on to Dean uh, to share his knowledge with us. Over to you, Dean. Thank you very much, uh, Sharad. Um, it's great to be with you again, uh, this time live, I guess. And hi, everyone. Let me see if I can share my screen here and get just a few slides up since I don't use a lot of slides and I don't tell my clients to use many slides. Does it seem okay? Perfect. All right, so hi everyone. It is, it's helpful to pretend that everyone in the audience um, has a little hourglass in their head, like all of you. I'm imagining that all of you have a little hourglass in your head and um, their attention is the sand running from the top uh, to the bottom of the hourglass. So you get about five to eight minutes of attention. Sorry, I need to take a glass of water. Like Sharad said, I'm not in front of the camera very often. So you get five to eight minutes of attention. And then if you don't do something to reset the hourglass, the audience starts to ignore you. So that hourglass of attention with the sand running out, that's what keeps me awake at night, right? It's getting harder to get people's attention these days and harder to keep it. So when one of my clients has to talk to a big audience or a small but important audience, um, I write it for them or I help them fix what they already have. That's my specialty. I write for other people's live audiences. Okay, so keeping an audience's attention in a webinar today when everyone's distracted all the time and can reach into their pocket or purse and hold a universe of distractions in their hands, um, it means that first we need to understand two things. Number one, you have to grab their attention at the beginning of the webinar, but the true start of a webinar is earlier than you think it is. 
The webinar starts when that person connects. And if they connect early, their hourglass starts at that moment, not when you or I start talking about our main topic. And then the other thing people, uh, the other thing to understand is that people don't watch webinars very much. They mostly listen to them. Right now, right at this moment, most of the audience, uh, you know, most of the people listening to me right now are listening. They're checking their email, they're on social media, they're working. Some people are driving. If you're driving, don't look at the screen. We are like a radio show playing in the background of their attention. So attention for us and for a ghostwriter like me, uh, attention means they're not paying attention. They're paying attention to what's being said, not to what's on the screen. Now I can get them back to the screen for short periods if my client needs them to look at a slide and I'm gonna show one way to do that, but mostly people are going to be listening to us. But that's the opposite of where most people uh, put in all their work. When they make a webinar, when you make a webinar, you spend 99% of the prep time working on your slides and very little time trying to improve what you're gonna say to the audience. So let's talk about uh, the first important new concept with webinars the pre-audience. The pre-audience is all the people who show up to a webinar early. They like to get connected and then switch over to some other app like their email. The first thing I do when I'm writing someone else's webinar is write something for that early audience because everyone else ignores them or tries to keep them interested by doing stuff like, and Sharad just did this, uh, sorry, Sharad, uh, calling out people like where they're from. Like I see Jane from London and there's Rahit from Delhi and, and on they go, right? And there's nothing wrong with that except there's a better way. I write a story for that audience. I recommend that B2B clients tell a story about the early days of the company or the early days of a product because it happened a while ago. So the story can include mistakes or, or silly things and it shows that we're real people. Everyone likes to hear stories about the time someone made a mistake or the product team added a feature, even though no one in the company cared much about it, and it turned out to be super popular. So the people who didn't want it included were wrong. Just don't ever tell a story where you or the company lied and succeeded because of that lie. People believe that if a company lied at any point in its history, it's still lying today. And nobody wants to spend an hour listening to someone that might be lying or thinks that lying is funny. So that's audience attention tool number one. For the people who arrive early, the pre-audience have a story ready for them. Once you start the real part of the webinar, once you kick off, you never refer back to that story. You never mention it again. You'll act as if the story didn't exist because some people didn't hear it. But always have a story to keep the attention of the people who joined early. And then the next tool is the opening message, also called the attention commander slide. This is the slide you show right after the title slide. Um, so let's, let's take a moment here. There are about 12 or you know, about a dozen silent messages that different slides will deliver to the audience as you give your webinar. So the underlying message for the title slide is you're in the right place at the right time. Very simple, but necessary. And the underlying message of the opening message slide, I'm gonna talk about that shortly, is you're in good hands. Your time and attention are in good hands because I know what I'm doing. The underlying message of the people slide, uh, which is you know, usually the third slide, the one with your name and picture and title on it, is I'm worth listening to for this topic. Uh, so that's an important tool for uh, audience attention. Know the underlying message of your slides. Uh, so, let's, so again, real quick, you're in the right place at the right time. That's the title slide. You're in good hands. I know what I'm doing. That's the opening message slide. I talk about more of that in a minute. Like I said, 
I'm worth listening to. That's your people slide. This is why you can trust my company about this. This is also the people slide, but can also be a company slide if you use one. Sometimes we like to have a slide that shows all of the company's locations around the world or, or facts about the company, like how big it is. A lot of companies like to include that in their webinars. Um, you're about to learn something important, unusual, or new. It's important to tell you about this now. This is the common enemy. This has kept your company from getting what it wants. This is how your company gets what it wants. We've done all the thinking about this for you. Doing nothing is risky. The next step is safe, and people like us do things like this. And then finally, this is your next step. That's your call to action. So as you write your webinar, you're trying to include all of these messages without ever saying any of the things that are on screen right now. Now, for the opening message slide, slide number two, the one that comes right after the title slide, you're trying to create tension and curiosity for your audience. There are, um, I think the last time I checked, I had about 30 or 32 or, or so techniques for starting a webinar uh, that are good for audience attention, but only three of them work for every audience. So those are the ones I'm gonna show here. These are the myth, assumption, and contra openings. To, to use myth, you say that X, whatever X is, has always been accepted as true. We all operate as if it's true, except it's never been true, and here's why. And then you'd pick uh, option two, the assumption, when you say X is actually true, or it was actually true, but it's recently changed. Or you say that soon X won't be true any longer. And then the third part is, uh, the third option. If you pick uh, contra, which is the third option, then what you say is yes, X is true, but not for everyone, not for your group, not for your company, not for people like you. Now, to show the difference between the three, here's a really simple example using exercise. If we use myth, then we might say, we all know that exercise is good for us, except it turns out it never really was. And if we used assumption, we'd say, exercise is good for us, but global warming will change that. Here's how. And contra would be something like, exercise is good for most people, but it's never been good for people with brown eyes until now. These are just fake examples. Exercise is good for you, I promise, but you get the point. You make the statement, one of those statements, challenging something the audience already believes, and that then you show that a change either has happened or will happen or should have happened by now for them, but it hasn't happened yet. And you tell them that you're the one who's going to explain it. If you use one of these change-based openers, you're creating the kind of tension an audience understands and wants relief from. No one wants to be wrong. No one wants to be caught short because they didn't notice a change that happened in the world already uh, or will happen soon. And no one wants to be left out of the benefits and advantages that others get. So that's the opening message slide. You create tension and curiosity, and that opens up space in the audience's mind for your message so that for the rest of your webinar, after you introduce yourself and you show that you can be trusted, that's the people slide, um, you're talking about that tension from the opening message slide and widening the gap between what the audience believed when the webinar started and where they are now. For example, um, I hope that by now you're seeing that showing up and giving people a lot of facts and then just ending your talk doesn't move many people to change or take action. The way you've always done your webinars or presentations isn't the way the best webinars and presentations are made. And so we're gonna look into some more stuff about how that happens. Okay, um, I'm about to talk about some very specific techniques I write into webinars 
for clients just to get and keep audience attention, like call forwards and callbacks and stuff like that. But before I do, now that I've talked about the pre-audience and how to start the webinar and how the middle of your webinar is all about you opening the gap that you created with your opening message slide, the myth or assumption or contra, let's close that topic and talk about the end of the webinar, the question period. Because the question period, the Q&A period is where a lot of people stop paying attention and maybe even drop off. You should always write the first one or two questions yourself. And especially for the first question, you should ask and answer a scary question. People will listen to the very first question and decide if they care enough to stay. So that question should be a question you wouldn't want to be surprised by. Pick something that you hope, uh, you hope no one would ever ask you, and then you ask it and then answer it. Uh, if your first question is a question no one expects you to answer, if it's something a little bit shocking, then they'll stay to hear the result. All right. So that's the pre-audience, the middle with the myth, assumption, or contract, and the Q&A. Now we can get into specific techniques and tools, call forwards, callbacks, stuff like that. These are called attention accelerators, and that's where we are now. Accelerators are vocal or visual tools. You use them to reset the audience's attention countdown timer, that little hourglass that's in everyone's head, or to get them back if they drifted away or to create more tension. The first one of these are not in any order. Like the first one is called breaking the myths. So no matter what opener you used for the opening message, like the extra example exercise that I used earlier, whatever the subject was, you wanna break some of the smaller myths that are connected with it. So for example, um, for the exercise example, talk about some beliefs that everyone has about exercise and replace those beliefs with new truths. Um, so for example, we used to think that you needed to get your heart pumping for 12 minutes for exercise to work, and that's not true. We used to think that walking wasn't even exercise at all, and now we know it's pretty good exercise. Whatever. The more things you can break, things that people knew, and then you can replace with new truths, the more you do that, the more attention people will give you. People pay attention to things like that. Another one I like to use, especially with B2B webinars, is called stacking or piling on. And this is where you don't just say something was a challenge for you or your company because of X. It was a challenge because of X and Y and Z. So you stack up the enemy forces, the deadlines, the critical path issues, the money running out, the competitors moving in, management losing faith in the project, whatever, right? Your audience will want to stay with you to see how you overcame everything that was stacked against you. If the problem you're describing uh, it doesn't seem hard or impossible to overcome, then no one cares. So stack up the reasons your problem or the audience's problem was hard to solve. Another tool that works very well is trial closes. Trial closes are when you have a false ending in a B2B webinar. So like this, we got it working, finally. Enormous effort. It took way too much time and a lot more money than we estimated. But it was worth it because we made it to the end of the project. Then we pushed the button to go live and nothing happened. Silence. Now, I could place a phone call to your audience member while they were saying that, and they'd ignore my call to learn what happens next. That's the power of a trial close or a false ending. Everyone tries to just state the facts like it's a college lecture, and it's very dry and boring. Uh, because we just talk on and on about fact after fact after fact, filling in the details, um, you know, filling in the details. 
The stuff that you like to hear when someone tells you a story, that's powerful stuff. People stop writing emails. They stop scrolling on their Facebook so they can concentrate on what you're saying. They don't want to miss the end of the story. There's no story if it's just fact after fact after fact. Okay. So next we want to talk about callbacks and call forwards. This is where you tell the audience a little tiny bit about something coming up later. And then you close that loop for them by referring back to it when you get to that section. There have been several in my talk so far. Here's an example. At the beginning of this talk uh, today, I said, first, you grab their attention at the beginning of the webinar, and the beginning of the webinar is earlier than you think it is. That part where I said is earlier than you think it is, that's a call forward. I opened up a little question about when that earlier point was supposed to be, but then I went on to talk about how people listen to webinars instead of watching them. I didn't explain where that early point happens, not right away. And then later when I talked about the pre-audience, I closed that loop. So here's an easier example. I think it's easier. Um, earlier I said, uh, I'm about to talk about very specific techniques I write into webinars just to get and keep audience attention, like call forwards and callbacks and stuff like that. But before I do, and that's, that's the key one, before I do. And then I talked about the Q&A and the end of the webinar and scary question. I wasn't talking about call forwards and callbacks. I said, I'm gonna talk about techniques like call forwards. And then I went on to another topic. I even said, I'm gonna talk about this other thing first. So you're left with this open question in your head, like what's a call forward? When is he gonna talk about it? You're not sure, so you pay attention because no one likes to miss something that they wanted to experience. Call forwards and call backs. Remember, call back is where you say, okay, I, I said earlier I was gonna talk about something, now I'm gonna talk about it, and then you talk about it. Call forwards and call back, um, uh, where you hint about something coming up later and you know explain it. Those are really useful. I write them into the script or put a little clue on the slide for my customers. Uh, it also helps, um, it helps you to tell the audience without saying it out loud that their time and attention really are in good hands because you really do know what you're doing. You know your material so completely, you can open loops and then close them as you move through your talk. Okay, next up are audio calls to screen. Sometimes you really need people to stop whatever they're doing and bring their attention back to the screen, whatever you want to show them. Uh, maybe you have an important slide uh, to show them or you've got a diagram or it's something they need to see or else they won't understand the next part of your presentation. Here's how audio calls to screen worked. You put something on screen, you refer to it um, you know, with your voice, you do not say what it is and then you either stop talking for a few seconds or you keep talking, but you mention the thing that's on screen several times. So right now, people listening to the webinar as background radio, here you refer to something on screen and their brain tells them something new just happened and they need to check it out. So they switch back to your slides. Here's an example from another webinar. I was explaining the number one question your B2B customer needs you to answer before your company and their company can move closer to each other. And if you can't answer this question, this fear they have, they're never going to, you're never going to convince them to move forward with you. So I kept referring to this purple text that's right here on screen right now in nice big letters. There are actually 10 questions you need to answer in a B2B sales presentation um, so that this main question gets answered. And that main question is the one here on screen. I never read out the words on this slide. I don't say the words in purple. I just refer to 
the purple text, as if I was assuming that everyone was already looking at the screen, even though I know that most people started off by not looking at the screen. Um, for you guys who are looking at the screen right now, I have added a little funny note here explaining that maybe you switch back to the screen to see what the purple text was. That's why it's there. Next up is future positioning, um, our second to last attention accelerator. This is when you mention how now that you've done the thing or removed the problem or solved the problem, you're in the positive future that the audience could also be in, probably by buying something from you. A big mistake companies make with their webinars is to forget to tell the audience how the lesson you learned or your new feature or new product or new service, whatever, would put the audience into a positive or happy future. Everyone loves to hear about themselves in a positive future. People will stop and listen to someone talking about them in a new happy future. And finally, there's the pre-call to action payoff. It's sort of a technical term, but here's what it is. It's um, adding to the positive future message that we just talked about by telling the audience the main benefit of your call to action before you tell them what the call to action is. That way, um, like the diagram I showed earlier, because you, know, you got their attention before you started talking about the call to action, the audience doesn't drop off when you start to talk about your call to action, which is really, a lot of times we call it the pitch, right? You've got to, now you present your pitch after you've delivered the content. Because a lot of times the audience puts up with the introductions and early stuff because they're waiting for you to get to the main part of the webinar. The main part of the webinar is the audience's part. That's the part they registered for. That's the topic they showed up for and want to see. Once you stop with the content part of your webinar and you start with a sales pitch or start talking about a call to action, they lose interest fast. So you need to blur the line between the end of the content and the beginning of your pitch. So you absolutely need to build up their interest about your call to action before you finish delivering your content section. Then you can pivot into the details, sign up for the newsletter, sign up for the webinar series, join our mailing list, book a 30 minute call with sales, whatever. Talk about the benefit of answering or performing the call to action before you show the call to action. That way your people are still paying attention as you start your pitch. The way it's typically done is, you finish the content, you start your pitch, and in the pitch, you start talking about you know, the benefits of doing the pitch. And by then it's too late. Those people have dropped. Okay, um, I hope this helps everyone. There was a lot of detail here. My guess is most of the stuff or even all of it was new to you. This is the world I live in. You probably didn't know that webinar ghostwriters existed, but sometimes some people get a professional to create a webinar for them and they contact me or something that's uh, been happening more often since COVID is that people who run a conference will ask me to help a lot of speakers to improve their presentations since they're all online. So it's basically a bunch of webinars. But even if we never talk to each other again, please tell a story to your pre-audience. Use a myth or assumption or conscious statement as your opening statement, your, um, you know, create tension and curiosity. Remember the 12 unspoken messages you want to send your audience. Make sure you ask and answer the first question during the question period and make sure it's a scary question. Use call forwards. Remember to break up the smaller myths or assumptions that are inside the big one you broke with your opening message. Stack up all the enemy forces, all the problems and dangers and obstacles that threaten to keep you from being successful. Use a false ending to keep your audience wanting more. And remember the audio call to screen where you don't say what's on screen, but you talk about it. 
There's also future positioning where you remember to talk about you <clears throat> and the webinar audience in a new happy future. And remember to talk about the benefits of doing your call to action before you say what the call to action is. Now, I'm just about done with like my content piece of this presentation, but I wanna talk about one final thing, really four final things. Whenever I write a webinar for someone, I always ask them four questions and I try to put their answers into the script that I write for them somewhere in the presentation. Because if you can answer all four of these questions for your audience, you're much more likely to get that follow-up call or permission to email them or whatever you want to do. I've been using these questions for about a year. I'm constantly experimenting, as you can imagine, for around audience attention because it's continually changing. I've been using these questions for about a year and they're very useful. Okay, so the first question is, what big impact will you have? I don't mean during the webinar. I mean, if they buy off on your call to action and agree to get closer to you, what big impact will you have? You don't have to change the world for an audience, but for the topic or problem your company solves, how do you totally fix or eliminate that problem? Or how do you improve or elevate, elevate the audience's ability? So that's the first question. The second question is, why is it easy for me to solve this problem if I give you money? Again, I do mostly B2B, so there's usually money involved down the road, right? So how do you take over? How do you do all the work? How do you get this off my plate? How do you know what to do? And then how do you finish by totally eliminating this problem from my life? The third question is, there we go, sorry, a bit of a delay there. Um, the third question is, what's different about you and how you solve this problem? You always need to have an angle, a story, um, to show that you do things differently if you want to be remembered the next day. Let's face it, most webinars are forgotten almost immediately. Very few of them linger in someone's mind for two or three or four days later. Most of what I'm paid for is to know where the audience's attention is going to be at every point in a webinar and have my client's message remembered for three or four days after the webinar ends. So um, you need to show that you have an angle. You can't just say that you're a little faster or cheaper or better. Every business has something about them and every individual has something about them that's different. If you're different in a way that people will remember and that makes sense to them, you get and keep their attention. And finally, people wanna know why you're the safe choice. We cover this in the, the people and company slides at the beginning of the webinar usually, right? We show them your company has lots of customers or famous customers. We show them that you've been in business a long time or that the people working there have been in the industry for a long time. Um, if they don't feel like you're a safe choice, nothing else helps them. Okay, so um, this webinar has the easiest possible call to action because you don't have to do anything. We're going to send out an email about uh, 24 hours from now to give you links to the PDF for everything that's in all the slides and everything that's done in this webinar and a bunch of videos and stuff. So you can use all the techniques that I talked about today. Just watch your inbox or your spam folder for that follow-up email. And if you want to contact me immediately, I'm Dean at ctowriter.com. And on WhatsApp, I'm, let's see if we have it here. There we go. On WhatsApp, it's 202-780-9293. Basically, I just picked it because it spells my last name. So it's 202-780-WAYE. And um, I guess now people may have some questions. Sharad, 
You want me to stop sharing or leave this up? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> I'm supposed to ask you a scary question, I think, as for- Ask me a scary question, whichever <laughs> one you want to you know, tackle with. Okay, so my first question to you is, I mean, I've been running webinars for a while and never ever thought of getting uh, a professional ghostwriter <laughs> to write any content for me. I mean, is that a trend now? Are people actually using guys like you out there? Things are definitely busier since virtually every sales meeting and every conference moved online last year. But for the most part, I mean, well over 99% of individuals' webinars, are, um, I mean, I'm never going to see them, right? People aren't going to pay for that. It doesn't make sense. If you're only going to give something once to an audience that doesn't matter very much, you wouldn't pay someone to construct it. I get hired in really three ways or for three reasons. Someone is giving a single presentation or webinar, but it's to a very big uh, or important audience, right? Or someone's giving the same webinar multiple times. I do a lot of work with chief technology officers. A lot of times sales likes to drag them into a customer meeting and say, here's our CEO, right? Now impress them with our tech. And so they probably give that same uh, presentation or, or version of it three, four, eight, 20, 30 times a year. And so it makes sense to have it written by a professional and like make sure it's super solid uh, around audience attention and being remembered because you get to you get to spread the cost of it over many, many different uh, ones. And then the latest thing that's uh, really popped up around the second half of last year is I get called by people who are running or organizing conferences uh, in that they're gonna have a lot of speakers and it's already challenging to keep an audience's attention online for something that used to be delivered live. And so they'll have me come in and actually like work through exercises and provide uh, rewrites and tips for the what the speakers have already created. Like I, I work with those speakers to make sure that we tighten up and improve everyone's speech overall so that the entire conference is more successful. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm most so people are never gonna pay to have it done. But in certain circumstances, it makes sense to pay to have it done. If you like, you know, you, you make a lot more money uh, and close more deals for the most part by having it professionally constructed. If the you know the circumstances are right for you know you really want to have that happen. Sure. Uh, my next question to you is: uh, you shared a lot of tips, you know, to keep audience engaged and how to do effective presentations. Which one tip uh, really stands out uh, for you in terms of its usefulness? The thing that is easiest for me to explain and do, and that everyone sort of, uh, they might not use a lot of the tips that I share with them as I'm helping them. Uh, Cause sometimes I don't write the entire presentation. They show up with one and you know we just put aside time and I walk through it with them and, and, and give them advice on how to fix it is the call forward. By far the call forward is the most useful and most, most um, uh, the easiest to implement. So once you have your presentation ready, once you know the order, because remember the audience, unless you throw up an agenda slide at the beginning, which you should never do, uh, never ever show an agenda slide. Also never show a slide that says questions or Q&A on it ever. It's, those are just signals to, to stop paying attention for most audiences. But once, uh, once you know uh, what your presentation is and how it's structured, the audience doesn't know. And so by being able to say, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna talk about this in just a few minutes, but first I wanna cover this topic so it makes more sense to you. And then when you get to the topic that you called forward to and say, so earlier I said I was gonna talk about this and here it is, uh, that works for multiple reasons. Audiences really like having open loops closed. Everybody likes closure, everybody. 
audiences at a, a more subconscious level enjoy the fact that they're uh, just like you enjoy being, uh, if you go to a movie with your favorite directors, right, or favorite, you know, writers, and you know that they do a really good job of constructing it and all of the little, like, you know, things presented earlier are resolved later, all the conflict, right? You enjoy being in the hands of someone who has control of their material. And people really like, they, people like the call back, right? Where you say, I, I said I was gonna do this and now I'm gonna do it. It's emotionally satisfying, you get a little tiny dopamine hit. When someone says, all right, I said I was going to do this for you, and now I'm doing it, right? It's like, okay, the, the opening, the call forward opens tension, and it's not super comfortable. But then by having that discomfort, when you close it off and say, okay, I said I was going to do it, and now we're going to do it, that's like that's, that's a nice, satisfying experience. And you can use that a lot in a talk. You can use it, you know, in a 30-minute talk, it's not unheard of to use that, you know, eight or nine times. It's just, you know, it works. It's very simple. And it delivers almost every time. Like people will use the call forward paired with the callback more than any other technique that I ever ever teach them. Right. Uh, now I'm going to the QA tab and I'm reading out a question from Anil Arana. So he's saying, uh, loving your setup. Could you speak to how you set it up, please? The camera, the background, the screens appears you are always looking into the camera. I am always looking into the camera. So the background is, it's not fake, it's like, it's real, right? <laughs> so it's a, uh, we, we make a lot of videos in my family for, you know, various YouTube channels. And of course I'm on Zoom all the time. And I, I, may, I don't usually go on live camera, but I'm on, I, I make videos and instructions for people all the time. And so this is a wall painted with non-reflective studio quality black paint. There's no natural light in this room. I'm in a basement. So these are all studio lights around me. You don't see any microphones because there are two shotgun mics pointed at me right now. And I'm looking into a, a camera that's about six feet away from me. And I believe you use an app also that delivers your oh, content. Yes, there's a $20 app that I recommend to all clients, especially if they're gonna be presenting sort of a webinar where it doesn't really matter if they're looking directly at the screen the way I like to, called Prompt Smart Pro. And uh, it's for iPad and Android, and I think even PC and Mac, maybe. Wow. And uh, what it does is you can, once you've like written everything you want to say, and it doesn't have to be a word for word script, it can just be main points that you just want to read a sentence. And then later you're going to say, uh, it's a teleprompter app, but unlike every other teleprompter app that I've seen, it doesn't just scroll continuously when you hit the play button. Uh, it does voice recognition. And that's why it costs $20 a year they charge for that service. But then as you read what's on screen, it scrolls up a little more so you can read the next thing on screen. And if you stop saying what's on screen to answer a question or just ad lib or you know make your own comment on something, it pauses and waits for you. And then when you start saying the words that are on the screen again, it picks it up and starts scrolling again. So super helpful if you have to look at a camera and then say a lot of stuff. Cool. And uh, this is a question from Prashant Welling who wants to know if polling is a good idea to keep the audience engaged. I do not recommend any kind of technology-based gimmick like polling and surveys. Okay. Uh, the reasons are, are this, nobody likes interruptions, just like nobody likes commercials on TV or on the radio, right? Nobody likes ads on YouTube. And so if you introduce an interruption, the reason people do that, uh, they, they, and the reason these technologies exist is because marketing departments asked the webinar companies to create these things. But I do not insert interruptions. I'd rather have like a tight narrative 
where I'm using call forwards and callbacks and I'm, I'm using a false ending and I'm stacking up and I'm, I've got a story for the pre-audience. And I like to control the entire experience. Like my clients don't pay me to say, here, put in a poll here and interrupt the audience. So if, if, you, if you write it out and then you use like the teleprompter app, but if you write it out and construct it carefully, then you already know how to keep the audience's attention, how to get them back to the screen. You know, uh, if, if you need them to look at your diagram by using an audio call to screen, that was the purple text thing that I showed you. So the techniques that I use don't require any technology or gimmicks at all. And so they're basically bulletproof, no matter what webinar platform you use or you know, any other sort of technology consideration that you want. Also, you don't need to have another person helping you with slides. And normally, if you're going to use a, a poll, a survey, something like that, you almost always want another person who's sort of handling that stuff for you. Whereas uh, the way I do it, you don't need, you know, you don't need any of those gimmicks or another person. You can just do the whole thing yourself. Dean, uh, somebody from the audience wants you to repeat the teleprompter app that you recommended. Sure. Uh, let me see here. I'll show you guys some tools. This one. Okay. All right. That's useful. This little $20 app has revolutionized my business. Like I could not do as much work as I do with as many clients as I help if they all had to memorize the script. Being able to read it in their own voice and have it advance as they read and only when they read it is just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grabbing one of these tomorrow. Um, <laughs> great. Uh, so the, uh, we have one more question from Ali who wants to know, why did you decide to be a ghostwriter and stay behind the scenes? I was in a Toastmasters group. If you've ever heard of Toastmasters, yes. it's like a volunteer group for people who want to get better at public speaking. I was in a group like that with a bunch of public speakers, like professional speakers. And they're really great on stage, right? Uh, all, all experienced public speakers, they're great on stage with a live audience. You know, they can feed off the energy of the audience. They can make very quick decisions on, should I tell this joke? Would this story work with this audience? Or no, I better do that and swap out the other story instead, that kind of stuff. But uh, most professional speakers have a training business. Uh, and that's actually what sort of like, that's their regular revenue in between like larger payments from speaking. And um, some of them came to me and they were having a lot of trouble with webinars, because they were using webinars to do their training, but also to um, sell or convince people, prospects, to uh, you know get closer to them and ultimately become customers. And they said webinars are just very different. Like you know, it's like talking out into space. Like there's nothing comes back. There's no energy from an audience to feed off. And so I was in tech. I spent my whole life in tech. And so they said, can you you know tackle this and figure out? And I thought it was a technology problem, just like they did. And after about six months of trying to solve this problem with surveys and polls and stuff, I realized this is not this is not solvable with the tools. I mean, first of all, everyone has the same tools, right? There's no million dollar version of PowerPoint that makes every presentation amazing. Everyone uses the same version of PowerPoint. Everyone basically has the same version of Zoom or Teams. Everyone has the same version of Microsoft Word. Like, it's all the same. So there's no advantage through the tools, no matter which webinar service you use. And so I went back and I realized, okay, this, uh, a webinar like this, a sales webinar, is essentially um, a long-form sales letter, right? Like it's been around for about 100 years, except that it's got elements of like a radio drama and it's got elements of a TV infomercial, like sort of the best elements, not the worst ones. And so I took uh, another several months 
combining those three things, like long form sales letters, like copywriting, and then how to write radio dramas. And, and, and then the third one, and then uh, over time, I'd sort of started experimenting. I was lucky that I had a bunch of customers who would let me experiment. And we experimented with all of these different techniques over the years and all the various openings and everything so that we could niche down into the very same one. And so once you're in it, it's like, well, when you're in a profession that there's virtually no one else in it, there's not really any reason to leave because most people are not gonna be your clients, but some are, and you're the only person who does that service. Right. So I can um, tell you, I do not spend any time with clients or almost no time with clients on their slides. The slides are really, really not important to a typical webinar. Like they're really not important. They're about everyone sort of, they spend, like, like I talked about in my talk, they spend all their time tweaking their slides, right? Uh, instead of writing a script or figuring out what they're going to say. And people will say to me, like new clients will say, well, do you not want to write a, a script or I don't want to work on a script, even with the teleprompter, it's too much work. And I say, well, here's the thing. Webinars are 90% radio and 10% TV. And you're focusing all of your effort on the TV part, the visual part. But none of us is going to put 43, 45 minutes of really visually interesting stuff on screen. Like Hollywood has a hard time keeping your eyes on the screen for 45 minutes straight or an hour and a half straight. And they have a hundred million dollar budget. So what really matters is what you say. And the thing is, we're all writing a script whenever we make a presentation or PowerPoint anyway. It's just that we split it up and we store it in the two worst possible places. We store half of it as big blocks of text on the slides and we store the other half of it in our heads where it sounds amazing to us. But when we actually say it, it sounds very flat and boring. So I say, you're already writing it. We're just gonna, I'll put it in one document. And you'd be amazed what's possible when everything that you're going to say, in fact, every word you're going to say in a webinar is written out top to bottom. Like you have so much freedom once you do that. And I think I had one other thing here. Yeah, but here's, here's the trick to having the script, right? Um, I use or have them use, I don't really need to use it anymore because I've been doing this forever, but I recommend it to everyone. This website, what you do is you take sections, don't put your entire script or whatever into Hemingway at one time. But you know, take one slide's worth of, of what you're going to say and stick it in here, paste it in here, and try to get it down to about uh, grade four or five English. I like to do grade four. Virtually everything I write is at grade four for live audiences. Uh, I mostly work with tech and tech audiences and CTOs. So the, the thing about working in tech and always having worked in tech is that a large portion of the audience learned English as a second language. And so by taking even very complex stuff, you know, like containerization and Kubernetes and, you know, whatever, and getting it down, doing the work to get it down to a fourth grade level means that everyone in the audience will understand it no matter how many years or few years they've been using English. Amazing, I think- Also um, listeners need your grade level to be a lot lower. Listeners, remember, it's just a stream of data coming at them like a river, right? They can't pause you. They can't stop and think about what you just said. They can't like figure out if you said something this way, but not that way and why. It just comes at them as a stream. So it has to be the simplest possible English that you can convey all of the meaning and context that you need to so that everybody understands everything as much as possible. Great tips, Dean. Uh, there's one more question I'm going to take, uh, which is from John Scott. And he wants to know if you have any ideas on handling Q&As for larger groups. You know, in webinars, sometimes you have 
a very large group. So are there any tricks, ideas you want to share for Q&A time? Yeah, there are sort of two guidelines around that. First is you absolutely have to have someone else handling the questions and curating them. So you would never just take them in order, right? You, you always look at what you have. Granted, not all questions arrive at, you know, by the time you finish talking and they're all just there and you can do it. But you absolutely have to have someone curating or choosing the questions and which questions are just gonna be ignored and which questions you're gonna answer first and second and so on. And then the, the sort of you know, adjacent part to that, uh, the corollary to that is that nobody came to look at, uh, to listen to you and spend time with you if you were the presenter. Not one of those people came so that they could have part of their life <clears throat> used up by a stranger who asked a question. So you're there and it's your knowledge and your experience that everyone in the audience can agree that they want. And then having some stranger ask some question that doesn't even seem to make sense. Or a lot of times, the reason I say like question periods are often deserts is because a lot of questions, people ask them because they didn't pay attention to something or they didn't hear what you said, or they ask it because they want to seem smart. And it's got, you know, they don't even care what you say back. And so having someone curate means that as they curate, this is the second part, their, their number one criteria for whether you should be given the question to answer is, is the question going to be interesting to the rest of the audience? And if they don't think it's going to be interesting to the rest of the audience, it doesn't get asked. Not in a, you can follow it up later with an email or something, but it, you don't take up the entire audience's time to answer a question that you think most of the audience is not going to be interested in. Cool. Um, Allah Garad, if I'm pronouncing your name right, you don't have a question, but you have a comment. And his comment is, you are just amazing Dean. Do you love that? Those are, those might be my favorite five words in the English language. <laughs> I might have to put that on a wall. Sure, you should frame it. Yeah. So, uh, so that was, uh, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, all, all I can say is, I mean, someone asked a question like, you know, how, how did you get into this or why do you do it, right? I mean, it is a very, I understand that webinars and especially since I focus on B2B webinars and sales webinars kind of stuff, is like, it is not a sexy field to most people but like almost everything in life, if you stare at it hard enough, it yields so many surprises and things you never would have thought of. And so there are so many ways. I've only touched on like a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of all the ways that audience attention can be handled in a webinar, all the different ways. I did a webinar two weeks ago. I did a tutorial, just like a 20 minute tutorial. And it was just on what to say and do for only the first five minutes of your webinar. And it took, with the questions and everything, it took an hour almost to, to get through that because there's so much to do at every stage in a webinar. And there's, it's really of all the types of presentations that someone might give in business, a webinar is the, can be, or can be the most carefully constructed and most powerful one of all, whether you're going to put it at the top of a sales funnel or whether you're going to use it for education. Um, a lot of people, they, they push back on me, oh, this is a thought leadership webinar, right? We just want to uh, have the audience, you know, understand that we're one of the thought leaders in this field. So we don't need a call to action, right? Literally every webinar has a call to action. If nothing else, it has a default call to action. So uh, I'm giving just one more talk uh, and it's going to be next week, uh, um, a week from today, actually on Tuesday. And it's about the call to action. And if, if you're doing a thought leadership webinar, the default call to action for a thought leadership webinar is 
remember us when the time comes, right? Remember us because you you know that we deal with um, you know containerization in in public private hybrid clouds, right? So remember us when you and your company get to the point where that's interesting for you. I mean, remember us when the time comes. What is that other than a call to action? Except by leaving it as the default call to action and not strengthening it, not building on it, not explaining the benefits of you know or any of that stuff. You just you wasted the opportunity to have them not only remember you later, but remember you now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So they want to get in touch with you and you know and start down the road. And the other thing is people will tell me, well, we're just this is an internal only presentation or webinar, and it's just for training. Like, you know, someone from the head of product is going to be talking about the new features coming out next quarter on version 7.6.2. And so it, it doesn't need a call to action. It's just an internal like information one. And say so an information one also has a call to action, a default call to action, and it's almost identical to the thought leadership, except in thought leadership where it's remember us, um, you know, when you get to that point, it's remember this when you get to that point. So remember this information when you get to the point where you're talking to a customer. So it's like that's a, it has a call to action. If you just ignore the fact that the call to action is there, you miss a tremendous opportunity to reinforce it and make progress for every, and provide more value to every single person in that audience. I can literally talk about webinars forever, all day. There's right. so much to do, yeah. so much to know. It's an amazing topic. Yeah. Just because we have a few more minutes left, uh, Dean, I want to ask you a question. Uh, are webinars here to stay uh, in, in the post-COVID hybrid environment? Two things are happening around webinars, uh, given that we've all spent a year or more, a year and a half looking at cameras and being on screen. One is I see them, uh, B2B webinars, I see them getting shorter. B2C webinars are actually getting longer, but B2B webinars are getting shorter. And so, uh, sort of the 60-minute webinar is kind of a default, but 30-minute webinars are becoming much more popular. And so, you know, everybody, including me, are now like, I use a different formula. I think I have a formula up here I could show you guys. Is it? Oh, let me see. I think I have something here that I can show you guys that you could use like right now. This is the formula I use for an awful lot of my webinars. There, this one right here. So, uh, ignore, like everyone does the stuff on the left, but they should be doing the stuff on the right. And so uh, to answer your question, one, they're getting shorter. They're not going to go away because there's nothing else like them. A live event that's unscripted, just like, hey, we're going to hang out and you know, I'm gonna, it's just going to be a Q&A and I'm going it, to, um, audiences lose attention with live events that aren't structured. The ideal is a live event that's like structured and written because the unstructured ones, they drag. There's too much opportunity for the audience to get bored. Uh, you know, you end up with like the set of three questions being answered in a row. And like, that, that's the whole thing is just answering questions three in a row that just aren't interesting. Like, you know, people are busy and people have a lot of distractions and your boss calls and you make an instant decision. Is this webinar and what they're saying more interesting or more urgent than what I'm doing right now? And a lot of times it's not, and you just drop. So they get shorter, but as they get shorter, they'll, uh, the, the writing them ahead of time or knowing exactly what you want to say, exactly what you want to say becomes even more important because you have less time to deliver that message. And it's more likely that the audience will just get bored and drift away. One more question has come in for you, Dean, and this is from Jackie. She is asking, what is your perspective about 10, 20, 30 rule of PowerPoint? PowerPoint presentation should have 10 slides, last no more than 20 minutes, and contain no font smaller than 30 points. 
So here's the thing about broad oversimplifications for that, right? Uh, it used to be uh, they shouldn't have more than six words and so on. There, it doesn't matter how many slides you have. The reason that people say you shouldn't have more than 10 slides or more than eight slides or whatever, or sometimes I would be working with a sales enablement or sales group creating like their next best ever introductory sales presentation. And the first thing they'd ask is how many slides is it? And I said, what difference does it make how many slides there are? It's a 30 minute presentation, right? The reason they ask is they're using sort of like um, a, a heuristic, a rule of thumb. Well, I can assume that since all of my people put 200 words on a slide, then if there's 10 slides, then it's a 2000 word presentation. But you don't, a lot of your slides should have no words on them. And the, the, what you do is you write the amount of content, right? You, you write the script or the amount of content for the amount of time you're gonna have, making sure that you cover off all of the things you need to cover and you've worked in the call forwards and callbacks and all that kind of stuff. And then you go and you make slides that support what's being said at that moment. And so it doesn't matter how many slides you have, as long as you have exactly enough slides to match what the audience is hearing at that time. As for font, I mean, I do like large font, but uh, the reason is it, it keeps people from um, uh, putting too many words on a slide. Right. But no, it, you're, it, it's the same like how many, that, that question is no different than how many um, surveys or pop-ups should I have during a webinar, right? It, it's the wrong approach, right? You start with what do I need to say and how, you know, and how, what's the experience going to be like for the audience? You start with the audience and work your way backwards. And then from there, you make however many slides you need and whatever font you need and however long you think, you know, you, you, you've been given. Most of the stuff that I write, I know well in advance for that client how long they're going to have to talk, right? If they're going to be presenting at whatever, API Days Singapore, which is one I just wrote for recently, um, you know, for uh, someone. Uh, it was a, they had 20 minutes, like really 18 minutes for their presentation. So, I mean, it's an 18 minute presentation. So that's how long it took. Right. So uh, it, it's not that the advice for broad generalizations like that are wrong. It's that they're starting with you and trying to put limitations and, and restrictions on you to keep you from making a mistake. Whereas if you started with the audience and their experience and worked your way backwards, you wouldn't have to worry about those rules because sometimes they would make sense and sometimes they would not. Cool. Uh, thank you, Dean. It's been amazing. A lot of learnings for me personally. You know, I hope our next webinar will uh, incorporate most of the points that you suggested <laughs> and we'll only get better with time, which also means that we'd love to have you back, Dean, uh, another day, another time on a 2.0 version of this. Sure. And uh, we'll, we'll keep that conversation going on the side. It's uh, time for me to thank the audience as well for spending your 60 minutes with us. And a little bit on a housekeeping note, our next webinar is going to be on Tuesday 29th, one week from now, 6 p.m., same time as today. And the topic is going to be about returning to office. So it's part of our What's Next series. Our topic is returning to office, all the challenges and opportunities that are going to happen because of people returning to work. We'll be discussing those. And on that, we have a power panel of uh, seven speakers. So uh, do check in on onlywebinars.com tomorrow. We'll be posting this event there. So feel free to register. 
and uh, you will receive, as Dean promised, a copy of his presentation and also a recording sometime in your inbox tomorrow. So be on the lookout. Thank you once again, Dean and the audience. You've been lovely. Uh, stay connected, stay safe. All the best from Dubai. Bye for now. Bye, Dean. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, audience.